0: You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. And we are live with episode four thousand nine hundred and something of talking tough. I don't know, guys. We've done a lot of shows. And uh I'm here with my good good friends Boss Rutin and Butterbean. What's up, guys?
1: We have I'm a done. great week. Having a good week.
0: Man, everyone's having a I think everyone's in really good spirits today. No one's bummed out. Uh, no one's sick. We have a, a guest on today who had very high energy um, and is it, doing great in life. So that's nice. I know, boss, you're, you're back from Europe and getting to go home. you got stem cell therapy. But let's save that because I saw you and our guest, Kasim Osgood, texting yeah. back and forth about that earlier. So it'd be good to talk about that when he's on. You know, and as a three-time Pro Bowler in the NFL, he probably has some experience with that too. Um, Butterbean, I know, continues to crisscross the U.S. in his RV, killing the convention circuit and getting ready to join Diamond Dallas Page in uh, Atlanta to become the fittest human being in the U S looking forward to that. Um, guys, and I'm doing good. I'm heading, uh, I'm leaving my dogs tomorrow. I hate that. I already miss them. I already want to cry about it, but I've got a week in LA, big parties. I've got a couple of hot dates which I'm excited about. Cause I don't do anything here on Maui and, uh, a lot of good business for cameo. So good stuff.
1: Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm just right now. I'm just trying to get caught up and get everything lined up. So when I'm gone for three months, that things will run smooth. Jeez,
2: three months. How many episodes is go? they going to be.
1: I really don't know. How, I don't know how they they, they kind of leave leaving me in the dark on how exactly how it's all going to be laid out and day to day activities and all that. They're kind of leaving me in the dark.
0: I think that's a big part of being on a cast for unscripted television. They like want to give you a basic idea, but they want to catch like those surprise reactions and like in the moment, so it's not rehearsed and whatnot. And no, that's kind of what makes works. it fun too. It'd be
1: a good idea. It'd just be a good film to kind of have an idea of the the way the show was gonna go. You know yeah. what they I planning. We're gonna do yoga, but other than that, we don't. I don't have no no clue. What, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of time and day to go through <laughs> for not knowing what's gonna be done.
2: I would have and never those,
1: expected
2: DDP yoga on that show. I would have never expected that.
0: Nope. No, absolutely not. You know, and and for those who are watching who are not sure what we're talking about here yet, um, Butterbean is leaving his home in Alabama to join Diamond Dallas Page at his home in Atlanta and is going to be part of an ensemble cast for an unscripted series where Diamond Dallas Page is going to remake people's fitness. And he's really good at that. You saw it in the resurrection of Jake the Snake. Um, Diamond Dallas Page is a master at that. Butterbean, I think, is going to be the greatest character DDP has ever worked with. The two of them together are going to be magic, and more than that. Being, I'm just looking forward. I want to see the spectacle. But on a personal note, I'm looking forward to see what this does for you. It's going to be amazing. Well, apparently, there's
1: going to be five other people, so I'm hoping. You know, I, I just hope I get along with everybody, and it's it's a good it's a good flow with everybody.
2: You, you know, it's it's good to be you, uh, Eric, because you know if so, if you don't like somebody. You can still knock him out. You see, that's the good thing about being a fighter. Nobody will have cost problems with you. I can guarantee you that already.
1: And with the whole
2: background for being a professional athlete, you know really how to push.
0: I think that's going to help you a lot as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, having the drive is going to help me a lot.
0: Yeah. And and I don't know if you saw there, Clown Man was already congratulating you, which I think is great. I think people are going to be really excited that uh, – that you're doing this diamond uh, page called me today. Dallas page called me this morning because he asked for a clip from the episode that he was on where flex flex Wheeler was pushing you or pushing you to page to bring you on his show. And uh, page wants to include that in one of the episodes. So he's really excited. it's
1: It's a good call for diamond to have me on the show. I really think it is. I think it's the best thing that he could
2: do. I think for, from all the people, if I think about it, you, you're the freaking perfect model, the blueprint for it. I truly believe so. I think a lot of people are going to watch that because you're love, man. You know that everybody knows you, and uh, and and they would love to see that, and they want to see you succeed as well. So, it's going to be a great motivation for you.
1: You know, from having a hard time getting around to be able to get up and get around where I want to is going to be. It's going to be a big change in my life, I think.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah that's the way to go into it, man. Have you watched that Arthur video by chance? The Diamond uh, Dallas Page a times, Yeah. Kurt, boss, have you seen that?
2: No, I've seen a bunch of stuff. Yeah, from them. That's it's it's crazy transformation. You mean the hip hop
0: guy or which one was it? No, the, the, the guy, the, ex, uh, the the veteran who was, like, was like 400 pounds. Sorry, Bean. Go ahead. Set tone. He a yeah.
1: parachute And oh, he injured himself on you know on some of the jumps.
2: That was the first guy he had, right? That made him yeah, big. I so.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I so saw that. Amazing. It, the so one that put DDPY on the map. Yeah, this guy, 400 pounds, couldn't walk anymore. I mean, just in horrible condition. And at the end of the video that went viral, the guy's doing wind sprints. He looked like yeah. a different person. It was amazing.
2: Yeah, I was walking on crutches. I mean, he was a different guy. He was half the size now, less almost. I mean, how many pounds did he lose? It's got to be in his over 200 I lost 170, thing,
1: I think. Jeez. Yeah. He lost a lot of uh, me, I mean, I know I'm going to lo- lose some more weight because I'm back on, you know, my, my regimen where I'm dropping three to five pounds every week. I mean, I'm doing really good now. So the weight loss is not the factor. I think just getting up and be able to do learning how to do the yoga and be able to move around and get more flexible is going to help me a lot.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, you're going to have to move, you know, when you grab your foot and you're going to stretch the leg out. We want to see you do that in three months. <laughs> no pressure.
0: And, and, a, and a wind sprint also. Don't forget the wind sprint. Sure enough. All right. right Good deal. Well, guys, we have, um, we have a, a guest on today that you know I'm excited about. I barely know this guy. I've talked to him just twice. Uh, we had a great conversation, a really sharp guy. Um, he, he's at the top of his game. He's a, uh, an, an ex-NFL player three times to the Pro Bowl. That, uh, in and of itself, is a a pretty incredible feat. Um, I know, like many of our friends and some of us, he uh, came up from a bit of a rough background and uh, absolutely came out the other side of it. And I think it's uh, time we uh, bring him on and put him on the firing line.
3: Our guest today
0: out of California is Mr. Kasim Osgood. Kasim! Oh, do we have volume? was on mute. Ah,
3: rookie mistake. There you go. <laughs> <Dang it. laughs> rookie mistake. i accept Paul okay. Hazing. <laughs>
0: Kasim, yeah. how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining us.
3: I'm doing great, man. I appreciate the offer to, to come on the podcast, man. This is a good time for me to be able to get away from the two young ones. I got a four-year-old. How years. old are they? A three-year-old and a four-year-old. Whoa, the Terrible Twos
2: are just behind you, but still, now they're over. Oh, little dangerous, yeah. Boys, you know,
1: go. You know, now what I, I know why he's bald-headed with two toddlers running around the house That's what happened to my hair
3: exactly yeah I was, i've been telling people that they didn't believe me said, oh no it's hereditary no it's kids trust me it's kids it activates exactly. <laughs> are, are the boys or girls or you got one of each uh my three-year-old's a boy and my four-year-old's a girl wow very cool man that is uh, crazy is the uh, is, is the girl is your daughter beating up your son uh, she was until I uh, I explained to her that he's going to get bigger than her one day. So then I had to sort of teach her how to mold him into being a gentleman so he takes care of her. Yeah. At, four, <laughs> at four years old, did she get that concept? Oh, 100% because she switched it wow. right away. She started being really nice to him and sharing stuff. She's like, okay, now, Kasani, when I'm sharing with you, yeah. you have to share with me now, right? He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, good job, man. I'm training him good. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. you can – Maybe you can train me and Boss and Butterbean to be nicer to each other. Hey, man, I know Boss. I, I grew up watching Boss and Butterbean. These guys are, are legends in my book. I mean, we have that Boss Rooting Machine has been in there. I've watched my brother every day for years. <laughs> beat the crap out of that thing. And this is the big guy. He's bigger than me. Yeah. He to beat the crap out of the machine, and it's still standing. You know, it's, and that's what all the people say because,
2: you know, when they see
3: me hit, they think, oh, it breaks.
2: I broke two of them. And this is over a course of like nine years. And I kicked the freaking
3: head. Yeah, I see the commercial. That's why we bought it. Nice. I love it. That's always good to hear. Very cool. Are are those still available, boss, for sale? Yeah,
2: yeah. They're on uh, BodyActionSystem.com.
0: Body Action Systems. Systems Mm -hmm. or system? System,
2: with the RTS, no plural.
0: BodyActionSystem.com. We'll put that on the edit afterwards. So it's uh, on the crawl. Um, how much do they cost? I have no clue they're like uh, awesome. yeah right. no because there's all different types that you
2: can do like I have a, I use a simple I have the hat the body pad and the body pad is what it does it has shapes on it so if you hit the left hook to the body, the liver shot in the shape that the pad is angled you hit the perfect punch. Then you have a solar plexus aim and you got also a screenshot and then the head bounces like a real hat so you can make really fast combinations but it's always there but it moves and then the, it's it, it's a thin, how you say it's frame, but it it takes that it needs to be thin because it takes all the power it absorbs the power and that's why it works so well and uh so i have the simple one with two hands on the side as well so you can hit those things and normal i would tell the people kick that because if you kick the head you need to have good technique because if you drag a kick through you know so you can break anything you know so you have to make sure that you pull the kick of course and that you make it a nice kick but otherwise just kick the the focus mitts on the side, but there's people also to have the focus mitts below. So you get low kicks. You can do that as well. You can build it out as crazy as you want. And it goes up and down in every size. It's uh, it's pretty cool, but I think they are around 300, 300 bucks.
0: That's not bad at all. Yeah. Um. You know, Oh, there it is right there on our screen, bodyactionsystem.com. And for those who didn't get it, body B action, a system boss, Boss, body action system. Obviously, that's um,
2: no, like Jesus. That's the first time I find that out. That's crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. I'm gonna get one. I just got a treadmill for my house. I'm gonna get that next. I'm glad you glad to hear it's uh, available. It, Sam, it, it, have you worked on that machine before, or you just watch your brother beat it up?
3: Oh, I did all the time. Uh, in Off seasons, it's, it's it's a great tool that crossover over from different sports. Not only is it from uh, fighting, but also in football, there's a lot of hand to oh. hand combat that we use. So I mean, they're they're great. Uh, points of emphasis for aiming and breaking down the body parts in order to to get past the uh, defensive back if I'm playing receiver or dodging a, a blocker if I'm tackling somebody. It's wow. really versatile. Yeah, I, I heard
2: with NFL players because I was at the 49ers one time and uh, doing a talk for these guys, and they were talk, they even work with sumo wrestlers because of their low gravity and how to move and how to be the strongest, you know, especially for linebackers and everybody. Yeah. So they they work with all different kinds
3: of athletes. You you guys hire everybody pretty much, right? Yeah, uh, the interesting thing about sumo wrestling is that it's, this is from the most smartest guys that have adapted their body to angular momentum and physics and vectors. Yes. It's so scientific, the technique of, of being a great sumo wrestler, that it doesn't matter how big you are. If you have the proper angle, there's angles that you can't beat just mathematically that are impossible to defeat it. and Those guys have mastered it. It's amazing to watch.
2: You know, I had this really cool thing that was that the number four of Japan was a big fan of mine. He would always come to the fights. and he, One time he invited me to go to the dojo and i remember it was i believe five stories up and we i, and I asked I said, of course i said can i bring my other fighters as well the guys because they would love to see that you know we would love to see your train he said sure bring everybody so we went up with like seven guys or so and this guy opens the door and he could be like 450 pounds and he's all oh, very nice meeting you follow me he says and he starts sprinting up the freaking stairs and i i'm not lying when we we're on the top it was like we were more out of breath after five stories than that freaking guy because he had to do that every day. And that training, dude, you get a whole new respect for these guys. They're, you think, oh, they're just fat guys. They're not. They're, the legs have zero fat, they're yeah. giant. Uh, there's, there's oak uh, tree trunk where they, they hit them. And you see the handprints in there. Like over time, there's just dented in the freaking bark. Then when you get up the, the, the floor to train, they have like also a tree trunk sticking out there, like the, the round part. And every time before they go up, they kick that thing with their shins. I don't know what the thing is, but they kick it as a freaking fighter, like hard. I couldn't kick it like that. Bomb bomb! And then they go up that stage and go dude. So they train five hours and then they eat five hours. I had one bowl, uh Whoa. Finish, and they would eat 11 of those freaking balls. And while they're eating, they're combing their hairs. Oh, wow. They have the, the young boys there. They have to do everything for them. And believe it or not, they can't wipe their own butts. So the young boy's going to have to wipe the butts for them. Wow. Dude, Dude I had to
1: blow my amazing, nose. Amazing, that's a big honor. It really is. It's a big honor in Japan. It's, it's I amazing, the yeah, yeah, it's number one guy.
2: You see, but, you know, I, I asked for and the food, by the way, is all healthy food now, because in the past they died like at 32, 35 years old. Now the life expectancy goes over 50 because of all the cholesterol in the past. Now it's all healthy food. Yeah. But I remember I had to blow my nose and they scream at this young boy and he comes back with the, with the fingers like this and a roll of toilet paper on there. And I could pull it up do it. It was a crazy, uh, a crazy thing to see. Crazy respect for these guys right now.
1: Akabono was like almost oh, 700 pounds and he could do the full split.
2: Yeah, dude. They, these, all these they all lay there in the splits. I mean, it's That's insane how little they are. But you see it when they lift their legs right at the beginning. Yeah. They go all the way up. The only thing you have to do is stretch the leg. They can literally kick you in the head.
1: I sumoed in Japan one time. I sumoed Bob Sapp. Oh. Charity sumo wrestling event. Who won so that? I can at least say that I've done every kind of combat sport there is.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. What happened in the What happened in the sumo match with you and Bob? Did you destroy I him? So I
1: didn't do so good. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: would I'll think you me. would beat Bob South. Now, how was it that Butterbean never fought Akebono in Japan? That would have been a good one, man. Yeah. Uh,
1: that. Fight. Me and Sapp was lined up, but he backed out.
0: Yeah, Bob wasn't gonna fight you. I knew that. I, I talked to him about that a bunch of times.
2: Bob's a good friend. Cassim would have been good in the prize fighting championships.
3: I, I enjoy the way I look way too much. I have <laughs> a lot of oil of Olay to this face. No, no, my my hats off to you guys. I mean, uh, I've always respected uh, the sport of, of of mixed martial arts. It's something that you have to have been doing since the beginning. It has to be like when you first start walking, you start kicking. You know what I mean. So it's one of those things where I think if you're going to be the best at that, it has to be of something you specialize from day one. And for me, I, I got into football. Football was the, the first love, and I dedicated my life to, to playing that and perfecting it. That that's where I can kind of take out the uh, the prize fighting energy there. But I have to have the helmet. I do I do like my face the way it looks.
2: Yeah, but you, that, that I, I think it's all. Uh, we were talking. I think that about it last week or the week before the last time I was on. You know, with the football. But they say, "What is soccer, rugby, or football?" But it's it's football, and they say, "Yeah, but they have protection." Yeah, but because of that, that you get ranked way harder than you get in rugby. Because in rugby, you're gonna break a bone, you're gonna break something. So they cannot go full out. But with the protection, that makes it interesting because then you guys, forty yards or sixty yards, four seconds, like a crazy, crazy number, and a guy like that running into somebody, yeah, that's gonna cause some damage.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, but
2: also, so football players are doing. I mean, Mat Mitrione, Brendan Schaub, you know, they were football players, and I think you guys are incredible athletes. So I think it's easier for
3: you guys to go into a in martial art than for some other uh, pro athletes. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was uh, when I was young. I remember I was 18. I first met Chuck Liddell. I was a uh, I was a freshman at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. And I was over at school kickboxing. He was doing a demonstration on how to do leg uh, leg kicks properly. I remember putting my leg out there for him to kick the pad. They wanted to demonstrate on me, and I I was at 18, so and I was just trying to figure out how to form muscle on my body. <laughs> kick my leg, and I remember going to off season workout uh, that week, and I could, couldn't run. The coach, said, what the hell happened to you? Uh, you know, so I was doing a little uh, demonstration and got hit. <laughs> I mean, he's like, Come on, we're, you got into a new fight at the bar, huh? I was like, No, nah, this guy named Chuck Adele kicked me. <laughs> I was like, Why'd you say something? I was like, because it was a part of a class. So, what are you doing? Going to get your, you paid to get your ass whooped? And he's skit lined. The whole week, I had a lump in my leg. that was so thick in there. And I was through the shield. It reminded me that, hey, man, uh, yeah, it was a shield, too. He he's like, hey, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Just so stick to football. Get your uh, iPads in there. You're good to go. So I,
1: have,
3: I got a lot of respect for the, the, the technique and the power and like the, the speed of, of people. Like I, I, a lot of people say, well, I can get in here and do that. Like I, in my own mind, I say, I probably could do it, but I had to train a whole lot, but I'm not just going to jump in here and do it because I got a lot of respect for it.
0: Well you I mean, you're you're at the very you're at the top of one of the highest sports in the world so you obviously understand what it takes to compete at, at any real level. How first of all how what are your stats? What's your height and weight? Cuz Um 6'5" 240. 6'5" 240. Which is a good size for a fighter. Great stats for a fighter. Actually.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean you're long.
0: there's a lot of target there but on, that, that's all right. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I told myself if there was one and, I would pick it'd be Muay Thai. That, that'd be the one I'd want to stay in that area and kind of use range to yeah. strike and, and block and show up that little shield right there. Did you your 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 brother uh Tracy and Kevin is the the older brothers or do they did they do everything uh, uh in martial arts afterwards? No, my uh older brother, uh Shane, uh he's a um correctional officer down in San Diego, but uh he's also a uh, boxer. So he was doing um semi pro boxing and they had like a, um Battle of the Badges boxing circuit that he was uh, a champion of at one time. So he was doing a lot of boxing. He still trains uh, to this day, but he, he just, he, this boss rooting system is that's his baby. Every oh, day He spends more time on that thing than, than anybody. And then the when the
1: do device, new device called the O2 trainer. <laughs> it helps with your, build your lungs. That's what it needs now. It needs to buy one of them. Oh,
2: I'll, I'll send you one. Uh, Kasim. this there's uh, a, um, I invented this this uh, muscle training device for your lungs. It's, uh, well, we, we talked about it before on this show, so we'll uh, we'll stay with you. But yeah, I'll I'll send you one, and uh, you should really do that because it's really going to change you. Especially if you do, if you do for a month straight, it's only four minutes a day. Yeah, you, you don't think you're ever going to stop anymore because it, it, it's it's that effective. It's pretty
3: crazy. Oh yeah, I understand that when you um when you retire from playing, you know, when you retire from the, the height of of competing. Your your levels automatically you get distracted with other things in life and you don't train the way you used to train when you were paid to do it. Yeah. So I noticed a, um, a degradation in my sleep, my sleep patterns, and oxygen I'm getting at night. And I know it's a, it's attributed to my, my lack of training during the day, but getting the maximum oxygen in there. So that that thing will definitely I would love to join, try. It. You pay well, with two dollars, you
1: sleep like a baby.
3: Yep. Yeah, it's a big difference. You're going to get – there,
2: the chances that you're breathing wrong is 95% because 95% of people breathe wrong. I was breathing wrong. Everybody does. So just it forces you to correct breathe, and that means you're going to get up to five times more oxygen in your body. Yeah. And that, that's a big difference in everything, in healing and coming back from COVID to nowadays. A lot of people are raving about that. Uh, so, yeah,
3: I, I think you're going to like it. I'll send you one. Yeah, I remember once, once I started hearing about COVID, I got on that treadmill and I was running. I told my wife, and said, look, I'll outrun any virus there. I'll just start sweating it out. It's going to come out. You see, and what was that on TV? Where did they
2: say, hey, be healthy, take your vitamin E, take your vitamin 3, 3 and zinc? You know, they're always talking about masks and all that stuff. Go out and train and be healthy. You know, that's
3: yeah. that's the best weapon against it. That's what I thought. Hey, at the end of the day, we all know now that all it is is about your body fighting it off. Yep. No matter what. 100%.
0: 100%. So Sim, back back to the football reference. You 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 hit the heights of that profession. You played in three Pro Bowls. I mean, that that's major. Would you mind walking us through like walk us through your football journey? Did you know you were to be an NFL player? Was it something you just dreamed about? How did you get from a kid in Salinas to being a three
3: time pro bowler in the NFL? You brought us told you that you were going to be one, right? in the NFL, I read. Oh, from day one. Yeah. I was the uh, youngest of four boys, and I have a younger sister as well, so that's how I kind of maintain my humanity. But being the youngest of four boys, I was always the one that got picked on or beat up the most or you have to go and do this or take the blame for this or we're going to kick your ass, something like that. So uh, I just took that on and said, you know what, I'll be my brother's keeper, and I'll prove him wrong by being the biggest one out of everybody. And they continually encouraged me. My brothers loved me to death, but they were always hard on me so for playing football on the concrete. It didn't matter if, if I didn't have a shoulder pads on. They were grinding me into the dirt, telling me to get up, calling me weak, all that stuff. Just testing my character, continually from just that. I mean, they took um, they took sibling rivalry to the next level. It was either you're gonna you're gonna either start winning or we're gonna make fun of you. And if you get second, we're gonna make fun of you. So either you win or you get made fun of. And if you get made fun of, it's it's relentless. <laughs> Everybody knows that growing up how that is. And um, I remember when I was uh, 11 years old. I wanted to play tackle football for the for league for Pop Warner. And my mom's like, "You you play enough with your brother. It's not the same, Mom. I need to go play organized with people my age, so I can, I can win and, and dominate." And she's like, "No, you're too small. You're too skinny. You're gonna break bones. I don't want to hear you crying about it." Blah blah blah. So she made me play little league that first year. So 11 years old, I play little league. It's not fun. I don't I don't like it. I'm standing around, just being tall, wiry kid like baseball is not for me. And I had a horrible swing. I couldn't swing for nothing. But I could steal a base, and I was really good at playing catcher. And um, I remember playing catcher, a guy tried to steal home base. I didn't take the mask off when I got the ball, and I ran at him and, like, basically tackled the guy, but I had the ball in my hand. So after the game, the coach says, um, it's been a pleasure having you here this season, but I think next season you need to play football instead. So he, he <laughs> gave me his, uh, his cousin's number, who's, who's the head football coach for the Pop Warner team, I got on that first season and I led the league in, in rushing yards. Um, I think I was second in league with most tackles. Um, always getting in fights in practice, always like trying to run people over or trying to dominate to assert domination. And um, I remember that year was the first year I said, you know what? I think I'm going to NFL. And I told my mom, I says, um, when I get older, I'm going to go to NFL. I'm going to buy you a home. I'm going to get you out of this city. Cause we live, we live in Salinas, California. Uh, it's pretty rough up there. A lot of, a lot of gangs and gang activity and whatnot. But, um, I told her, I said, I'll get you out of here. And she said, yeah, honey, that's nice. And she worked two jobs, so she didn't really know how good I was early on. She kind of just supporting her son. Hey, I'm glad you found something. You're not out there in the streets. Get your homework done. I'll see you after work or see you in the morning. She would get home in the morning, and I'd be going to school. And um, it was just always to break my heart to see my mom work so hard and not be able to be there. And I would kind of brag about what I did for that game. And she'd she's like, honey, that's nice. She would pay attention. I know she's tired. You can see it on her face that she just wants to lay down take a nap. But she's going to stay awake and listen to me brag about how many scores I had or this and that. And she had no idea what was going on at all. But um, I remember fast forward to high school. Um, there was one of our rivalry games, and I had four touchdowns that game. And I remember saying I was being so happy that I was being able to go home and tell my mom, that I had a game that was amazing, and it was a scout there from college, and they're gonna really be to get a scholarship, so I'll get free college. And I remember as I was walking out to the gate, I saw her there, and she was crying. She's like, I finally got to see you play, and you didn't tell me you were that good. I didn't know you were that good. Everybody's yelling your name. She's like, what's going on? Like, you are you, are you shy? I was mom, I know you're busy, what you got going on. This is something I've been doing you know, is this what it is? And this is what I love. And uh, I I think I'm going to go far in there. So she said, you know what, whatever you need from me, I'll help you. So getting into college, um, my mom still worked when I was in college as well. Uh, My brothers already moved out and it was just her and my sister, but she was always sending me money and she would take care of me. She worked in extra time over hours, like busting her knees. Mm -hmm. up. She had to medically retire once I got to NFL because uh, her knees were just, uh, they're done. She just had worked herself to the bone. And, um, Yeah, I mean, I I help my mom. I make sure that my mom's taken care of so she doesn't have to worry because she put a huge sacrifice in my life for me to get there. And I always attribute the the inspiration of my brothers who are always strong there for me, you know, make sure that I wasn't out in the streets, hanging with the gang members. Um, I remember my brother buying me my first pair of Air Jordans, uh, and I know he didn't get that by just working at the uh, Olive Garden. You know, he just, you know, they they worked and made sure that I didn't have to. They got me to be able to be sheltered. I was kind of sheltered from a lot of the bad stuff, and my brothers took a lot of brunt of that, and, you know, they, they kept uh, riffraff away from me growing up so I didn't have to deal with that. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it, it was a long journey. It's not just myself to get there. And then when I got there, I was undrafted. So I, I broke my hand in my rookie, rookie season. Uh, broke my hand. As a receiver, you break your hand, you can't make the team. You can't catch. So I had to make it uh, playing special teams. And I remember Marty Schottenheimer, it was a make or break. I was really down on myself, uh, frustrated. I didn't get a chance to prove myself. I was going to see my dream disappear because I broke my finger. Catching a one-handed catch, of all things, over uh, one of their top draft picks. I caught a one-handed catch in practice and broke my hand. And I remember Marty saying, if you don't go down and make a tackle, you're going to have to find another job on Monday. He's like, I love you. It's been real, but I really appreciate it. But this is the NFL. It's either you perform now or we got to get rid of you. So I remember buckling my chin strap, going out in the field, and I was so angry that somebody was about to tell me I couldn't have my dream anymore. And I remember I had a broken hand. It was all clubbed up, t- taped up, ready to go. I ran down that field, probably 15 yards in front of everybody. And I hit that guy so hard. And I remember getting up, walking to the sideline, and I come over and I see Marty Schottenheimer in tears. And Marty was, God bless his soul, Marty was a crier. People don't know that. He was one of the most fiery coaches. He was so passionate and loving. He would treat you like you were his little multi-poo. Like he just wanted to mold you and hold you like a good uh, player's coach. But he came over to me and he had tears in his eyes. He said, I have never coached a man that could respond the way you just did. He's like, I was just giving you shit because you broke your hand, but we love you. We've always loved you. You've always been a part of the team. You were never going to lose your job. I just wanted to see the kind of character that you had. He said, you proved everybody in this stadium that you deserve to be a Charger. And I remember at that moment, a little weight let off of my, of my chest. But that chip always stayed there. That, that that PTSD of like almost losing my job, it was the chip that kept me all twelve years throughout my career. I always had that fear. Like today's gonna be the day someone's gonna tell me my dream is done and it's, it's over. And that's how I maintained throughout the years. To try to outwork everybody. Try to be the guy that they're reliable that they need for anything they do. If you want me to go get some coffee, how many creams you take? How many sugars you need? Whatever it yeah. takes. Wow, wow man.
0: that is it. great. Uh, Sam, I was um, I talked to two people about you this past week. I know you know at least one of them. Uh, two of my colleagues at Cameo, uh, Darius Fleming, who oh, heads yeah. our sports department at Cameo, and then Patrick Schiller. You know Patrick? He also played – he was a lineman in the NFL.
3: Yeah, I know Schiller. And
0: they both knew you were coming on the show. And here's, here's what's funny to me. I mean, you, you are like such an articulate guy. You're a good-looking guy. You can tell you're a family guy. You know what the first word out of both their mouths were? He's an animal. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great, man. That, that, that's a big compliment, I would say. Yeah. Um,
3: the biggest, did, biggest compliment did, is if you ever turn it off and say somebody says, hey, that's a nice guy. So I appreciate it every time. Yeah. It. Well, yeah humanity. They, they did say that too, of course. Yes, <laughs> they, they, they added that to the mix. Um,
0: did, did you grow up with a father in your household?
3: Um, we had a stepfather who uh, liked alcohol, and he liked us. And um, he didn't even – I don't know if he even knew my name for I don't know how many years. He just never really talked to me, never really engaged. And if he ever did, it was because he was mad because something wasn't clean. So I had to – I had to deal. got really good at fucking headshots. Really good at it. My, I mean, it, it carried over football so well with hand-to-hand comments, just watching hands, always seeing body language. But, um, yeah, we get drunk and get mad about dishes not being done, and it would turn into round one of the sparring match, like, why is that you know your kids are, are asleep you come home, you're mad about something else or disappointed that something's not going your way in life or why is that our fault? But hey here we are round one and you just constantly throughout every every year you're in and out you're trying to deal with being a kid normal adolescent stuff, dealing with people at school, dealing with the teachers, homework, figuring out if you're going to go to college or not and you got to duck head punches out of nowhere because this it keeps you on your toes. I tried to keep positive outlook on it. You know, the, the guy worked. He always was on time in his job. Uh, he fed us. He kept roof overhead. Uh, clothes on our back. It wasn't the clothes that we wanted. But, hey, I, now as a, as a adult, I'm buying uh, clothes for my kids. I appreciate that he did that. But yep. it, it was difficult, Shane. There wasn't really any type of um, role model, so to speak. I had to find my coaches and uh, my older siblings. Those are the role models that they had me. A lot of teachers are sure. there for times where I get, I don't know why I'm so proud about something. I'll, I'll get a B in the test. And I'm a perfectionist. I have to be able to get my mom out of the situation. So everything had to go perfect. So if I didn't get an A, this was a major misunderstanding. I had to let the teacher know, what is going on with this B? Like, there's something that I did or didn't do. And maybe it was, maybe you didn't explain it right. I remember teacher got offended that I said that. I was like, because I'm paying attention. because there's just something on the line bigger than just me getting a grade. This is my life. Like, I need to be perfect in everything. And I think that was just compensation for not having the best cooking at home. Because my mom, cooking, she was damn good at it. But she only had so many hours in a day that she could monitor the development of it and then work as well. Dude, wow. I, okay. you, you have like a 4.17 GPA, right? Let's I play. have 4.1, 4.1 GPA. It's crazy, man. Very cool. I'm,
0: I'm, I've, got a, I've got a hard question for you. And I'm, I'm going to really do my best to phrase this the right way. But so you grow up in this house, your mom and obviously she's a good mom but she's not there very much. Your stepfather was as you described, alcohol and there's some violence. You have there's four young black men, boys before you were men, growing up in an area that's gang infested.
3: How do you guys stay out of that? Um but the love, my mom. I my mean, mom was my mom was a pitbull, but she was she was vicious and tough, and she knew how to coach right with the limited time she was given. She was a maximizer. She so got ten minutes before she gets to work. You can get your ass whipped, told what to do, and told what you can't do anymore. All within that ten minutes, and she'd be able to fix her hair back right and get out the door looking good as hell. Good, but mom was real. I mean, she was on point, and I think without that that good side, bad side, we would we would have turned a lot more violent. And then I, I think I uh, attribute to sports and after school programs and after school volunteers, like volunteer coaches, they were everything for me. I would not be in the NFL without volunteer coaches. I mean, it's just it's impossible. Impossible to not have some other distraction just pop up out of nowhere. Walk into school, you just get beat up. And then all of a sudden you get tired of it. Now you want to join a gang so you don't get beat up anymore. It's just, I mean, every which way looking. And luckily, I had my gang already. My brothers and their friends always knew that I was a little different because I would get into talking about planetary alignment and systems and gravitational forces. And they look at me like, Are you going to play Madden or what? So get out of here then. you not going to play Madden. And I don't know video games. I would just always be reading books and stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think my brothers. My brothers were, were highly intelligent, were very street smart, and they, they kind of just shielded me from a lot of stuff. And I attribute the ability for me to get to uh, the level I got to because I've always had them as protectors.
0: Yeah, they must yeah. be really uh, proud of what you achieved, not only on the field, but in life, I would imagine.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. When my, my brothers are, are are great father figures, my my nieces and nephews are some of the most respectful kids, and uh, I love it. I mean, I, I'm a good parent because I watched how my brothers have done it, and I waited till I retired to have kids, and I, I watched my brothers go in through in, in throughout the trials, and just I mean, they were remarkable for not having their own dad teach them the kind of self-taught through my mom and how to be strong as a dad. And where, where's your family now?
0: Your mom, you're taking care of your mom, which is, that's got to be incredibly gratifying. Where Where is everybody located? Are you all close? Or are you all spread across uh, the U.S. Um, these days?
3: So so uh, there, everybody's in San Diego. Uh, I'm in L- L.A. And my mom, my brothers, and my sister are down in, in San Diego. And they're all staying with uh, my other brother right now. Everybody's dating uh, because after uh, COVID and all that stuff happened. Uh, people's careers had to get rejump started. And he was still working at the prison. So he was able to provide shelter for people. He's uh, a great help in the family, I mean, It's just in my family, everybody always, if everybody doesn't have it, none of us have it. So we always kind of stay together. And that's something that my mom taught us is that that unity, that, that central position in the family first. I'll bet Christmas is fun in your household. Oh, man. The soul training line, the dad training, Demonstrations on Bob Putin's- Body action,
0: system,
3: I <laughs> my brother gets in there and starts teaching people how to hit the bag properly. It's it's the best. Some fun time, though. Good music, good food. <laughs> Definitely good food. Man, be, be, you know, where you the game occurring? Occurring? No, no
2: where, where are you watching the game at this, this, this Sunday? Uh, I think everybody's
1: coming over to my house.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, because, I, you know, there's always – we're going to watch it
3: with a bunch of guys. It's always fun over there. So there's an open invitation. <laughs> but I oh, know you're <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Super Bowl's going to be fun, man. It's going to be a good matchup.
0: And and and, Boston to Sim, it being don't feel excluded. You're on the other side of the country. You guys are both invited to the Cameo House party also. You know that, of course. So another option. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'll try to get somebody to come watch the kids for a little bit. My father-in-law might be able to watch kids step over to the cameo for a minute. Do a cameo appearance. There you Absolutely. go. There you go make a cameo. yep that, one, that one.
0: journey for
1: me, though, Rick? I think I'll pass this time. You got to give me more notice, Rick. What's up with this? like your birthday party. I, mean, I, I know.
0: K- Kasim, Butterbean totally blew me off for my 60th birthday party. Can you believe he did not drive from Alabama to California for that? I can't. still can't believe that.
3: Well, man, you know, we'll see how traffic works.
0: (laughs)
1: Only give me one day notice that he's having a party.
0: Then there's that. There was that, too. And there's that. (laughs) Oh, man. So, um, so anyway, you're...
2: Oh, by the way,
0: I need to talk about the the, the stem cell thing. We were going
2: to talk about that. Yeah. So what they did, um, they took uh, a fat out of me. This was funny because normally it takes 15, 20 minutes. It took four hours and 20 minutes to pull 60 milliliters of fat out of me. They couldn't find any. They had to go everywhere, my butt, my side. I was black and bruised everywhere. And they finally had this little bag. And this guy said, this morning, I took fat out of somebody's chin. And that was more than this. He said that it got out really fat. So anyway, finally, after four hours and 20 minutes, They have that stuff. Then they start uh, copying your stem cells. So they're like 50, um, I think it's 50, 100 or 150 million. One of the doses I got yesterday, um, which what dose I don't know, but we we will, if it was 50 million, they're going to still give me the under 100 million once this whole test is over. This is the first uh, FDA approved test with guys who got hit a lot. And uh, uh, I, I didn't get hit a lot in the fight. But, of course, in training, you you get hit sometimes if you train with guys like Peter Earth and uh, Pedro Hizo. I mean, these are freaking animals, you know. So, and I have to say, man, I mean, there was a guy, one of the guys uh, on the, the team that we had as well had a stutter. And three days after the injections, his freaking stutter is gone. So, wow. it's like crazy stuff. So, they said, you're going to get a headache. We were driving back yesterday from San Diego where it happened. Uh, I did get a headache, but I never get a headache. So I told him, I said, that's probably going to be very short for me. Now it's going to be a couple hours. It was for 30 minutes. And then I start feeling really good. I slept really good. I woke up with less pain. And my focus is also much better. So if this is just a little precursor of what's going to happen, I think it's going uh, to be very good. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very, very tough. Like this morning up again at 5 o'clock, working out at 6 o'clock. I was already in the gym. Just flew through everything, jumped in the starter, stretching a little bit, had a great start of the day. (laughs) And if this continues, I'm going to be very happy. Boss, Where where do you go for it? For stem cells. That was in San Diego. But the the worst part, like I said, is because, you know, I did it before with my knees. They tried it and they pulled it out of my bones since I have almost no fat. So they put it out of your bones. But in your bones, they have like 12 times less stem cells in your bone marrow than you have it in the in your fat, so this time they really tried to go uh, and find it, you know, so it, I have video of it. Dude, you'll see, it's like this going under your skin. I mean, they suck everywhere, I mean, it's horrible when you see it, it's like a, a vacuum cleaner under your skin and they just suck everything out. They tried to find it, it went over to my butt, on the sides of my body, my whole front, everything was black and blue because they had to make these incisions everywhere and of course give you shots, otherwise you're in pain. And then, uh, but then they of course started bruising up. So you didn't feel a thing. It's not about that. There was zero pain, but it just looks very weird. And it was, uh, yeah, done in San Diego by some some guy who made the copies of it. And it's good. Like uh, a few friends of mine, Randy Couture did it also. I just signed up uh, yesterday, Chuck Liddell. He's going to do it as well. I said, dude, you got to do this because you know we all get hit a lot, you know, in training, and especially in the fighting as well. So I think this will be a great thing for you. So uh, yeah, I hooked him up because that normally
3: that will be co- cost you a lot of money. Yeah, I was just talking to Chuck uh, the other day when I was at uh, my uh, daughter's dance class. I had called Chuck and I he was talk I was him I was going to tell him about stem cells, and he told me that he had already spoke to you about it. Yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why I knew you had done the uh, stem cells, seeing how it went for you, because I, I just became the uh, biz, uh, vice president of business development for um, Longevity Clinics Institute here in Arcadia, California, up here in L.A. And um, they have um, they do uh, stem cell from the cord blood Uh, they've done uh, as a partner. They have a master file with uh, Louisiana State University and um, they got FDA approved to do it. So they're just set up here in L.A. And I don't think they really have any kind of competition locally in Los Angeles. So the technology is amazing. Uh, How they store is amazing. I mean, they were storing uh, vaccines as well, because that's how that's how high up they are with their specialization there. They've got the storage, sanitation, everything. It's a nice setup, but um, I know the, the value that stem cells can provide and exosome, uh, exosome therapy. It's amazing, the, the night and day. How do,
1: stem, how, do, how do the stem cells help?
3: They're basically like well, you, the younger version building blocks of you. So imagine a younger, fitter version of you getting inside of your body and gripping everybody into shape. Basically, that's what they do.
2: And, and wherever you have an injury, they go to that. They know exactly where to go. And these are yeah. your own stem cells also. You can do also the umbilical cord stem cells. You can do that as well. And those are blank. And they, as soon as they see yours, they, they make a copy of it. They're, so they become yours. And I did that as well over in Panama a long time ago. And yeah. I remember the person telling me um, the, who, who did it, she said, it's really weird. I get energy out of my fingers. And I thought it was just a weird thing to say. And then after my third treatment, because they do four treatments there in four days, And after the third treatment, I was calling my wife. I go, oh, I know exactly what she's talking about. I mean, every morning for six months out of my toes and out of my fingers, like a pulse. And the craziest thing was this. I had a 215 cholesterol level, and it was just tested like a week before. And then three weeks later, after I did my stem cells, we had another test. It was 150. It dropped like 70 points
3: instantly. That's crazy you know a guy that i think would benefit from stem cell i don't know if he's already done it or not would be our buddy uh dan hendo oh Hendo, yeah yeah for sure yeah i was just yeah. thinking about him reach out to him and see if he is interested in doing that yeah because sam he, dan's an old friend of, of of bosses, of course of mine
0: we'll be glad to uh, if you don't know him we'll be glad to connect you for oh sure. no i, I know that i know Dan know? since i was 19. Oh, you yeah okay yeah all right. Right. yeah all right so so you're you're in this
3: profession now this is what you do uh, yeah, I mean yeah. What, What's the name of your organization? Uh, it's called Longevity Clinic uh, Research Institute It's over and at- is, there a, is there a URL that we can uh, put up on the screen here? Yeah, what is the URL? It's uh, www.lcriusa.com All right We got that That'll be coming up in a
0: moment So we'll have that on the crawl And anybody interested can reach out Can they get uh, connect with you there?
3: Yes, yes, definitely yeah, the, uh, the CEO of Ferris, Ferris, he, he's, a, he's a guy, he's a, he was a former athlete himself, a former military special forces. And he said, man, if I was to go back and look at how many times I needed this on the spot, he said, I'd probably still be doing what I'm doing. So thank God that he has a clock of his own. But we're able to go back in time and fix some of the damage and go back and kind of get some redoes and reset buttons. So, I mean, I thought that was the best way to explain it. I think they're, they're great guys over there. The scientists over there are always encouraging people to come in and ask questions. They have a forum a room over there for people who are kind of you know new to it and want to understand it better. They have symposiums all the time. They have uh, guest speakers come and talk. So I think I, I just love the fact that they rally behind the sports world and also the uh, the veterans and sort of they're, they're trying to inspire people to come in and learn about us. So they can help.
0: Is it ever too late to get started? Do we get to a certain age or get too broken down where it's just not going to help? Or is it always going to be a benefit?
3: Well, it's always going to keep it within your range. So, much like when you're going uh, to a, a casting call, you say, oh, well, can you play this range? So yeah, you know, I can play 35 to 45. And they'll look at you like, you look like you're 54. You know what I mean? But uh, it's one of those things where you have a range that you kind of look and people like, oh, well, if I was a guess how old you were, probably like 50. So you're taking stem cells on a regular, mm-hmm. it can get you at that age back to looking about 45-ish. So I say it gets you like maybe a, a five to seven range where it can kind of pull you back some years. Vision, wise internally, what it could do for your body, I think, is endless. Based off of how much damage is in your body and how much can get you back to your reset cells, because it's only going to replicate the cells that you have available. And that won't give you more. So you're saying that you're
0: saying that I still have a shot at Davidson uh, Figueroa for the flywave title, then? Oh yeah, it'll
3: it'll turn you back in, looking like Boss. <laughs> <Right. laughs>
0: All right, there you go. Boss Thank is you. Standard. I'm excited about that. Boss, you're going to get me <laughs> ready for that, okay? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Hey, um, so I'm get to somebody, you Do you have any
3: questions for them? Yeah. Um, for for Butterbean, you've always been a fan favorite. Uh, do you feel like you've accomplished more than you put expectation on yourself, or do you feel like where you're at is – through hard work and I would never second guess any decision I made through the course of my career. Wow. Yeah,
1: you know, I I've always been like the underdog a lot of, on a lot of the fights because of my size. They 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 you know they read the, the they look at the outside of the book, they don't read what's in the book. Yeah. I tried really hard. I mean we were training two to three times a day sometimes. Not counting getting up in the morning and my trainer following me on his bike and me doing my running in the cold weather. And I'm going, dude, let's do it when it warms up. He says, yeah, the other guys do it when it warms up. We're going to do it when it's cold just to push you even harder. So, yeah, I mean, if, if they knew the, the, the work that I actually put in, you know, a 450-pound guy ain't supposed to be able to go you know, three rounds without breath, breathing heavy.
3: Yeah. Or four rounds, you know, it's just yep. – it, it's, it's – it's, fighting's tough. It'll, it'll wear you out quick. Who's the fighter that you always wanted to fight that so you didn't get a chance to fight?
1: I've always wanted to fight Tyson. I mean, me and Mike are friends now, but I think that would have been a hell of a fight. Either he did knock me out or I would knocked him out, but I've never been knocked out. So.
3: Wow. I know Boss is the guy that no one mentions. Like, who would you who your dream fighter? Boss just hurts people. I think you hurt people too bad. and They've seen that, that liver punch. It's like, God. I remember <laughs> ask, I was in uh, Chuck Bell's <laughs> hotel after he fought Randy the first time, and we were celebrating. And I was like, who would you, who would you rather get hit by? boss rooting to the liver or an ape biting you in the neck? And he said, oh, hands down. I'll take the ape any day of the week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, boss, like boss. he likes in the liver shots. That's for damn sure. It's because it crippled me. My first Thai boxing class, some, uh, some A-class fighter was not
2: professional. He uh, and me made my karate hands here. He hit me in the head. I overcommitted, and he knew immediately that I was exposed. So he dropped me. And I was never dropped like that. I never knew what the body shot was. And I go, oh, shit. And then I, um, I asked him, of course, he said, it's the liver shot. And then Roman Deckers is, to me, he's the greatest guy boxer ever, who unfortunately passed away. He started just drilling people with body shots, liver kicks, knees to the body. You know, and I go, oh, man, I got to do this. So I start focusing on that. I don't know a lot of people do it. It's such a big weapon, and especially a little bit later in the round, when people start breathing heavy, you know, because they can't really flex at the moment of impact because they're getting heavy. And if you hit somebody on the inhale, when he's inhaling, yeah, that's it, you're out, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's how it came to, to, to be. But it was just me getting dropped by one.
3: Wow. What was your favorite uh, arena to play in? I mean, to fight in. You know, there's two. And, uh, and I, 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 I defended all my titles in there. That was
2: the greatest thing. Uh, cheap Trick played in it, live at the Budokan. Remember? I want you to want me. Yeah. Yep. And, <laughs> I, and later I found out Ali fought Inoki, Antonio Inoki there. And I thought, oh, dude, this is so freaking crazy. And that's where I won my title and I defended it against Frank also there. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And then the sumo arena. The sumo arena in Japan, I just, you know, Google it. And then look at the picture. It's, it's just such a beautiful place. And also... There, they had those big streets in the dressing room for the sumo, sumo's. And, and the same there, all the handprints uh, completely dented in from them hitting it. But it was just a beautiful place, everything with chrome pipes, where people would sit, you know, and uh, just on the butts. That's how you would fight, uh, watch the fights there. There these yeah. giant paintings of these big sumo's over the years, those legends everywhere around. But yeah, it's really worth the, to, to, to Google that, the sumo arena in Tokyo. Beautiful place. So, yeah, those two places were the best. Sure, check that
1: out. I, think, I think I love fighting in Japan better than anywhere, too, boss.
2: Well, uh, you fought also uh, the
1: cartoon hall, uh, right? Oh, this small little place? In Tokyo. I fought, I, I fought in Japan probably 20 times total.
0: Wow. Yeah. Being, did you fight in Because, Sam, I used to corner for being in Japan, and he would fight um, in, in the indoor domes with 60, 70,000 people with Japanese yeah, legends you know. on the show, and Bean oh, was yeah. always the most popular fighter there. Always. Oh, so People go nuts. Hey, boss, would you believe that I actually headlined a show at Corican Hall, a pro wrestling show, against Hashimoto? That was my biggest thrill oh, <laughs> of my entire career, because I wasn't a fighter or a wrestler. So I kind of lucked <laughs> into that situation and uh, headlined Corken Hall. That was pretty exciting. Dude, and if terrified. you ever go back there... That, that's, that's below
2: the Tokyo Dome, there, right? And, uh, you got the Tokyo Hilton Hotel, the, the big hotel there, the Tokyo Hotel. But if you ever go back there in the place where the carcoon Hall is, they have a sauna and you have to go there. I mean, the saunas there are completely, their saunas there are so hot when you walk in, you can't just walk. You have to go really slow because oh. otherwise everything hurts. It's insane. And then they have TVs in the sauna. And then when you go in your cold punch, you go out, you lay on the bed, you have a telephone, you can call, you can order whatever you want food, beer, drink. You know, they come and bring it to you. Dude, it's the craziest thing ever. But you have to check it out in the steam rooms. And everything goes from hot to extremely hot. So, you know, you got all these special rooms. It's really a thing that you have to experience with
3: them. I'll definitely check that out if I go. Uh, I missed that so you one. Said you
0: said what? I
1: was on the Tonight Show, but it wasn't really me. But it was somebody dressed up like me.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yes, I, I, I saw that. Bean sent me the clip. Johnny Knoxville was on as a guest, and uh, the the host, James uh, Corden, was leading him through an obstacle course to get from backstage to the front of stage. And things were flying up then. People were jumping out. They were replicating jackass. And they come come around a corner and they have a Butterbean. Well, they tried to have a Butterbean look-alike. They didn't hire the right guy, in my opinion. But but it paid tribute to you, which was pretty cool. And, of course, that's when Johnny Knoxville lost it because we all know what happened when Johnny Knoxville met Butterbean.
3: (laughs) Busted him. (laughs) Great Didn't moment. go well.
2: Great sometimes, sometimes their jackasses were too crazy. I mean, the new movie I hear is crazy again. They do some things. My, my daughter saw it and she said that. I mean, the things they still do, it's pretty
1: amazing. And, and, and they're getting old, you know. The men are right now, they're all
0: drug-free. <laughs> wow. So this and they're still doing it. <laughs> You, you you never would thought that Johnny Knoxville would still be alive and going. He's getting old, too. You, you saw him. But, um, oh, yeah. you know, I me and Roddy Piper trained Johnny Knoxville for his WWE, the match he did, uh, 20 years ago. And he was freaking out meeting Roddy Piper. And he, everything we showed him to do, he did at 10 times the speed. And he's like, oh, my God. He wow. goes – you, you pro wrestlers are are, are crazy. And I looked at this guy. I go, dude, I don't think I've ever said this to anybody, but you are crazier than any pro wrestler I ever met. Talk about a fucking animal! Oh my god, this guy was, uh, this guy was off the chain. It was really Bloody something.
3: Beast.
2: That's a big thing got, saying, man.
0: Because
2: yeah, but but if you say big crazier than pro wrestlers, because like I told this before, I started doing pro wrestling in Japan also for New Japan. And in the first three matches, I already had injuries. My wife would say after the third match, she says, go back to real fighting. You never had these injuries that you have now. It was crazy. These, they were insane. I mean, Scott Steiner, and all these guys, and his brother. Dude, I mean, the things they did. And the stories, the stories you heard. I mean, I don't even know if I can say stories, but uh, if I even can say it. I mean, you, you go straight out of a movie script. Like, you go, like, I do not want to be there at that moment. Like people just start shooting suddenly in the in the, in the ceiling, you know, or waking up with an, uh, with someone. It's not funny, but it's, like, it's insane. And that's why it makes it funny. But it's really not funny situation. But there's that girl who overdosed in the room, and they slept for two days straight, and then they smell something, and they realize there's somebody dead in the freaking room. And I go, like, dude, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard. Wow!
1: Yeah. yeah, back in the old days, it was kind of wild.
2: Yes, and and, and doing it two hundred and twenty shows a year, and that's that's a low number for these guys. That's without traveling, and then yeah. you listen to guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin because they pay you fifty bucks, right? then he had to go from show to show in his car, buys a big bag of potatoes, and he would eat those potatoes raw while he would go to the next show and, do, and perform there. And all these guys were doing that. And we only know the big names. But all the ones you know as well as I do, Rick, I mean, that's got to be, I mean, the level that makes it, what is a 5% compared to all oh, the other yeah. guys?
0: not yeah, not, not even. And, yeah, and, Boss, you said 50 bucks. 50 bucks would have been a good payoff back in those days. A lot wow. of it was $20. And, and Boss was describing it exactly right. Uh, in the height of WWF's days, before they changed to WWE, when, when they would sometimes run two shows a day. So there were actually guys working 400-plus matches a year with big drives in between. But the lower card guys who would follow around and just try to get in the business, these are the ones that you're talking about. $20 sometimes. They get to an arena. They have to help put the ring up. Oh, so wow. They're, they're, they're part of the ring crew. Then they go work their match. They get the shit beaten out of them because that back in the day it was like that's how they broke wrestlers in. It was a whole different world then. Yeah, they beat the hell out of you to see if you're tough. And then you drive to the next town, put the ring up again, get the shit beat out of you again, get paid your twenty bucks, and go crash in the back of your car with your potatoes or your tuna fish. That was a life.
1: twenty bucks included travel money.
0: Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They got yeah. four guys to a car, five guys to a car. If they got a motel room, it'd be all the guy. You can imagine five giant stinky pro wrestlers sharing a room night after night, living on tuna fish. That's, that's not, that's <laughs> not a scenario right there. Yeah.
3: For real. So, yeah. Sam,
0: it sounds glamorous. Did you ever think about being a pro wrestler?
3: I did. I grew up watching it. I was watching wrestling when I was in college. Uh, I transferred from Cal Poly to San Diego State, and I had to sit out a year because of the uh, cherry picking clause. So, I remember every Thursday night watching SmackDown with my 12-pack of uh, Miller High Life. And I remember mean, everything. I remember people coming in my room like, you're not going to go to the bar? What are you doing here? So I'm watching wrestling. Yeah, you're such a little kid. You don't watch wrestling anymore. I was like, get out of here. These guys are better than you ever dreamed to be. And I mean, it's just it was fun. It's always been fun. So my, my, uh, my grandma used to take my mom and her brothers when uh, they were young. And then I'm going to take my kids as soon as they get a little older. I mean, it's just it's been the family for forever. And, and you never found your way to a pro wrestling school to try it out. I thought about it, but I just really loved football. It was something about football I was the first love. But I mean, I, I was still the same kids at the YMCA trying to moves and getting in trouble for putting people in DDTs. So,
0: yeah, fun yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> to practice in theory.
0: Well, I can safely <laughs> say you made the wise choice, no doubt about it. Yeah.
3: No yeah, doubt what
1: about. was your highest, like your highest achievement in football to you? What, what
3: meant the most to you? Uh, what meant most to me, I believe, would be um, the first 100-yard game I had. Uh, it was my rookie year, and um, it was, looked like I was getting a lot of playing time because I had David Boston in front of me. And um, he yeah, had David Boston, Richie Caldwell, a bunch, a bunch of uh, star players. So it wasn't, I wasn't really getting a lot of playing time my rookie year, but then when I got in the game because uh, David got injured, and um, it was a last-minute thing. I had practiced. I knew the plays. Um, knew everything. knew the time for the quarterback. But uh, I just kind of expected not to play receiver. And I remember my coach telling me, he said, you know, you always be ready. Never know. I guess he knew something. He just kind of nudged me that day. So I was really excited. Oh, man, if I go in, I know this, and I hope they call this and that, and this would be a good play. And sure enough, I get in there. Uh, Dave injured, and we're playing Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. as uh, Sunday night football. And um, I get in there, and I make a hell of a plays, get a 100-yard game, uh, rookie year. I was super excited. It was, uh, it was just to know that I got to the NFL was one thing, but then to get that first 100-yard game and to score a touchdown uh, in the same game was just it – was, it was a high, high point for me. I mean, I went on to get Pro Bowls, and we were been in uh, really tough games playing tough opponents, but I think that was just the, okay, now you, you proved yourself that you're good enough to be here. Now let's just stay here. But I think that, uh, got, I got there to that point, and it, made me, it really made me proud of myself.
2: Well, man. So
3: what, what's the next chapter of your life look like? Where do you see yourself five years and 10 years from now? Uh, Right when I retired, I got into acting. Uh, I took a year to do interning uh, behind the scenes for learning how the camera works, being on set, um, just protocols, like, you know, how how the structure happens. And I just wanted to become a better actor myself. And um, it's helped me not only for professional, but also in my personal life. Uh, I have an acting coach. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Glenn Morshower. He was uh, Aaron Pierce on uh, the show 24 on Fox. And he's also uh, the dad in uh, Resident. Um, he's a remarkable coach. Uh, he's just a, a great friend of mine as well. And he sort of told me, once you're done with football, you, know, you, got, you may have a future in acting if you treat it the way you treat football. So yeah. um, just, you know, right now I have young kids as well. So balancing the two, I put my kids first before the career. So the career is moving a little slower, but rightfully so, because I want to be there for my kids to give them that encouragement that I didn't have because I think it's, it's pivotal to get them that, that head start in life uh, and have a good, good footing. So um, I've been doing a lot of dad duty. So I, in, in five years, I see myself as the head of the PTA, the head coach of the football team, the head coach of the women's basketball team, and also running up for Dad of the Year, and and, <laughs> and 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 accepting your Oscar all at the same time. Yes, and luckily I'm bald, so I'm just gonna make it Oscar. <laughs> I'll up, <be> that, <there>, boss. <laughs> Father of the
2: Year award. I got one right here. Solid <laughs> yeah, gold.
3: See, it's a real thing.
1: It's a real. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs>
0: That's well, I I, we're um, we're we're running uh, late on our time. Uh, So you you have these great role models in your in your brothers, even though your dad wasn't there, you um, you had great coaching and you you talked about the value of that. If there is a kid in back in Salinas right now watching this, let's say he doesn't have the brothers that you had. He's on his own and he he's he's on the edge. What
3: what could that kid go do
0: to have a chance to turn it around?
3: I, I say just, um, well, first off, you have to be honest with yourself. To see what's your tries, what's your passion, what motivates you, what, what really gets your blood going. What is something that's hindering you right now from being happy? You've that. And if it's yourself, you have to be real with yourself and say, I'm not happy because I'm not seeing where my blessings are. So recognizing your blessings, understanding that your situation is unique to you. So don't feel like somebody's going to come and tell you every answer you need because it's not going to work that way. You're going to have to figure out where to pull the information to be your own answer and on top of that look to the people who've done it whatever you want to do look to whoever's done it already and then you ask them if you have the chance to ask them or you do your research online find out how they got there what was their pitfall who were their hang-ups Um, there was a time for transitioning from football uh, to losing that and losing sort of part of my identity but not all of it I knew where I wanted to go after football but you have to know what's your exit strategy because I, I kind of let my ex strategy catch up on me before I was able to jump on top of that, and I, I, I was drinking a lot and just kind of down on myself and, and kind of upset that I wasn't where I thought I should be. So I had to reassess, you know, what drove me, what's my po- my passions, motivations, and who did it before me, and how did they transition and sort of pick their brain. Um, I've, I've become really good friends with Terry Cruz and he transitioned from football to acting. He's done a phenomenal job. Uh, guys like Akbar Bajwa Miller, who's on the View now. Transition. He was my teammate in college, and now he's uh, in Hollywood. Uh, you know, influencing people in a positive way. I think he's a great guy. Uh, just asking these guys questions. I've never. I've always been humble, so you know, I'm never the one to say it. I know everything. So I'd ask anybody that I think I can value some information from them. I'm just going to ask them the question. If they know the answer, they'll say, Yeah, you know, here it is. And if they don't know, they'll say, You know, I don't know. But at least I try. So I'm always really willing to learn. Uh, really honest with myself. I try to figure out what my passions, motivation, and desires are, and then I find who did it before me and try to mir- mirror that, path- that pathway. All
2: right. Very cool. good. Yeah.
0: Did you, um, and, and again, I I've, I've said, thank you for that. I said a moment ago, we are, we are past our time, but now I have to ask this too. So you brought up, you were, you were drinking a lot, and I'm sorry to focus in on that, but I have to ask. Oh, yeah. did, did you have what, what a lot of people would call a rock bottom? Or did you not quite uh, sink that low then?
3: Yeah, that that was a a bottom moment because I I got married right after I retired as well. So not only was I going through losing part of my identity as a football player and losing in the spotlight, playing on the team, I lost my locker room, my guy camaraderie. Now I have the woman in my life that I have to treat as I did football and put her first. And I was still trying to chase after getting back into football and being the football guy that I was letting my marriage neglect. And then I'm arguing, fighting with her. It's unsettled at home. Uh, we had just lost a baby, too, uh, during the placental abruption. So now we're blame- I'm blaming myself. Was it me? that I stressed her out? All these different factors that, you know, you start to overthink yourself. And I'm just uh, looking back at myself. And like I said, I'm very honest with myself, and I was disappointed at where I was. I said, you know, I, I should be doing this. I've always been priding myself on doing that. Now I'm procrastinating. Now I'm distracted. I've never been that way. That, that right there would get you cut in football. And I've been allowed it to creep in. And then I started to feel sorry for myself. And then I just found comfort in drinking because it would numb it. And all it did was push the the rock down the road. I mean, I haven't had to deal with it when I get sober. You can't be drunk forever or you're going to end up like some of my friends who have not made that transition properly. And and it's a real thing. You know, you you do damage and you get out and you lose part of your identity. You lose your locker room. Now you got to go and face the world. And there's not really a good transition program for guys like us to get out. Neither is there for military. I think it's worse for military, like phenomenally worse military. That transition program, that locker room, that team—they need that team. The guys in the barracks to sort of rally behind and say, "I, I'm going with you. I walk this walk with you. Let's do it together." I mean, you just kind of get thrown out on the street, and it's like, "Yeah, you'll figure it out. You got money. You play football before. You're not know to figure it out." And it's sort of—I I miss that. Hey, I got it figured out. I know I do. Now let's, let's make it happen. You know, real life happens, and kind of—I let it catch up rather than staying ahead of it. And then and, so and I was using alcohol. What was your what was your turnaround point or your epiphany to put you back on the right path? Uh, my wife told me that I wasn't communicating anymore properly Then I became more of an angry drunk that I was getting uh, frustrated. And she said that I used to see you partying. You'd be the happy guy. Now you drink and you're a little angry and upset and hairpin triggers. You never used to be that way. You're not sleeping well, you're snoring a lot and you're slurring your speech and you're not forming sentences properly the way you used to. And she's like, this is telling me that I'm, I'm dumbing down, so to speak, and becoming more barbaric and brute. She said, maybe you should get your brain checked. So I went to the brain check in San Diego, and uh, the guy, Bob, is a uh, former Navy SEAL. He says, yeah, you know, the frequency in the front's not matching the one in the back. Long story short, you hit your head too many times, we can fix you, put you on this magnet, send you on your way, you'll be happy again. And uh, I thought it was remarkable that my wife picked up on that and stood firm, said, this is the problem. You need to fix it. And she sort of reached out again. And again, it's never been about me. So it's always been people that have been around me that have been really awesome people who have loved me. So thankfully, I've not done enough damage to lose that love. And she reached out and said, let's go get you better. And I mean, once my brain started firing again, I started getting my motivations back, started feeling like myself again. And I mean, I, I attribute it to the Brain Treatment Center that they just they got me that, that jump start to get me back going. What, what really
1: happened, Rick? His wife said, "If you don't straighten your shit up, I'm gonna call your mama."
3: The Butterbean breakdown, where he breaks <laughs> down people, sophisticated talking, the damn subject. I'm just gonna cut straight to the chase. Why say you don't straighten up? You ship you out.
0: Dude, that's fantastic. I I, I I have a friend going through it right now. I hope you heard this. Thank you for that, man. That was uh, going through exactly what you described. A good friend of all of ours. So. Good to, so good to hear your story, man, and, and Kasim and Butterbean and Boss, such a pleasure for me to sit here and watch three legends, three universal legends at the top of the world who have been at the top and are at the top again, man. It's really gratifying to see that. So thank, so thank all three of you for
3: being here. Thank you, Rick, for guiding us through this whole thing. Great question, Butter. Yeah. Every Any man that kicks cash ass is a legend in my book, so you're a legend right there with the best of them. There you go. Well, you guys,
0: guys, so such a great, uh, such a great hour, hour and ten minutes, as the case may be. Because, Sam, I have a feeling that we'll be calling upon you again, my friend, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be up for answering that call again.
3: Hey, I got perfect service, so I'm 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 always open. (laughs) I love it.
0: Well, man, hey, I want to wish all three of you the best week ever and uh, fantastic seeing you this evening. And uh, I think it's time to let everybody go because we are past our time. Big thanks to uh, our producers, Rachel Sartoris, who did an amazing job as always. And thanks you, thank you to John Paz, who I know is out there as well. So signing off from, Boss, where are you? California, Westlake Village, Ventura County. And Bean, Jasper,
3: Alabama. Beautiful Sam Jasper, Azusa, Alabama. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Azusa, Asia, USA. Woo. <laughs> being a Jasper, myself on, on Maui. Uh, we want to
0: wish you all a great night and a great week. And we're signing off from talking tough. To yeah, all right. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows.